Are you a business owner looking to grow and scale your company? Do you want to prepare your company to successfully take on investment? Start by taking the Become Investable Digital Scorecard Assessment. In less than six minutes, you will have information identifying weaknesses in your business model and receive advice on how to address them. Developed using the signature BI methodology, the scorecard assesses your business based on six key investability metrics and provides a comprehensive report to show you how to build a more investable business. Go to becomeinvestable.com scorecard today to start your journey to investability. Podcast World. This is Caribbean Power Lunch with your host, Kevin Valley. This episode, we're going to be discussing financial planning for entrepreneurs and business owners. Here, we're going to discuss how to increase the investability of your business, hence creating your own wealth engine, and how to protect, extract, diversify, and smoothly transfer that wealth to the next generation. So, we're going to start off this episode with a presentation from Become Investable co-founder Zara Aline on how to build an investable business. And then we're going to have a little chat with Tanil Whiskey, Senior Financial Advisor at the Trinidad and Tobago Unitrust Corporation on financial planning for entrepreneurs and business owners. So without further ado, I'm going to just kind of slide it on over to Zara. Zara, take it away. At Become Investable, we are business advisors. So as Kevin would have said, he is one of the co-founders. We have four of us on the team all together. And what we do is we really partner with companies to really attract that external investment and help them build more investable businesses. Now, this is a holistic process. So we do not only look, for example, at the financial health of the business. We look also at who's on the team. We look at the structures that govern the management of the company. We look at how you're differentiating yourself as a business, how you're maintaining that competitive advantage over time. And these are all the elements that come together to govern the metrics that we use to assess businesses and also then to help businesses grow and scale more effectively. So our team is really diverse. So we have some of our members have an investment banking and finance background and others have project management, engineering, international development. So you're really bringing all of those to bear on this issue for businesses. And today, what we're going to cover really briefly is what to look at when you're putting together a really credible business case. Not only do you need to have a good pitch. How do you make sure that investors really believe in you and believe in the business and will want to take that risk and embark on that journey with you? Also, one thing that we really like to focus on is how to decrease the risk in your business. Now, this is something which you'll see is a common theme throughout today's webinar is really thinking about how to manage risk. So manage your personal risk and then also manage your business risk. And Overall, because we are becoming investable, we will focus on how to make a business more investable. So we're just going to do a quick run through today, but we can always, you can always find more resources on our website, becomeinvestable.com. So today we're really looking at, as I said, risk management. What are some of the common risks that SMEs face and how can those risks be addressed? So 
the first risk that a lot of people don't really always think about is lack of a credible story. If you don't know why you're doing what you're doing, if you can't say with conviction how your business, how your solution, because every business is essentially a solution to a problem, is solving the problem of the market or solving the problem of your key customer, if you don't believe it, no one else will. So you really have to have that conviction and hold fast to that credibility. Another key aspect is making sure that you have the right people on your team. The right people on your team may not always be the people who are closest to you. It may not be the people that you already know. It's important to really ensure, especially when looking at investment, but when looking at investability more broadly, that the members of your teams have specific skills that you need in order to achieve your goals as a company. So if, for example, you have an idea or you have a business that's starting and you realize the business is going to really have a tech backbone, this business is going to only be able to scale if the technology is there then it's a risk not to have someone on your team or who's closely working with your team in a structured arrangement who has that skill set. And those are core capabilities, which you need to be able to show that your team has so that when you go in front of investors, they will be able to see that there's less of a risk that the key functions of the business depend on someone outside. You have to also look at depending on key person or people within the business. Now, I know that Tanil may mention key man insurance later down in the presentation, but from the investability side, this reasoning is because you don't really want to have one person whose only job is to do something really important in the company. You want to ensure that, and this part of this is for succession planning, part of this is just for career development, for staff or employees. And part of this is really just to spread the risk around, right? You want to ensure that if you have core capabilities or, or key functions that are happening in your company, that more than one person has access to that. I know that in some companies, and we see it in Trinidad and Tobago all the time, people don't want to necessarily give the reins of control over to other people, right? The ones in charge, they want to be the ones who understand business inside out. And that's, that's fantastic. It's always good to have somebody who does that. But it doesn't mean that aspects of that role can't also be shared with other members of the company to ensure that if something happens to that person, if they decide to take a sabbatical, if they decide to retire, that the company itself, the business, is its own living entity and can live on past one person. And here we're coming to a key aspect, something that a lot of companies think about but don't necessarily implement, which is making sure that you are in touch with your customers. The first step is identifying your customers, understanding who they are, understanding how they behave, understanding why they choose your product, why they choose to spend their money with you. The other part is making sure that you're constantly in touch with those persons, constantly in touch with your customers to make sure that you are implementing the feedback that they are giving you so that if they change, if something happens with them, that you can also adjust your product or service to suit, to ensure that you're make, being able to maintain customer loyalty, but also very importantly, to make sure that you're always answering that question, am I solving a problem? And which problem am I solving? And am I solving it the best that I can? And that aspect of solving the problem the best takes you then into product and service differentiation. So this is something that we refer to and that is referred to as competitive advantage. 
but it's also what is going to make you stand out from the crowd. Even if you run a business that has 200 competitors in the space, there's always a way to set yourself apart. That could be the type of customer service that you use. It could be, for example, the way that you package your product. It could be the customer feedback loop. So perhaps you are very good at following up with your customers, making them feel incredibly special. Anything that you do that really sets you apart from your competitors, that's important. And then we get into, here we're getting into a little bit more of the nitty gritty. So we've covered the customers, we've covered the idea, we've covered the team. The two aspects remaining in the business that we always speak to our clients about as being incredibly important to investability is understanding your numbers and financial performance of your company and also making sure that you have the structures in place, governance structures in place to ensure that the management of your company is done in such a way that it is well-structured and that it is easy to bring people in. It is easy to understand who owns the company, if the company is public company, how the shares are being divided. And then you can always understand as well how to make sure that your company structure is set up in such a way that you are minimizing the risk within your company, right? And part of that as well is making sure that regardless of who is doing your books, regardless of who's the accountant for your company, that you as the owner understand the numbers, understand the day-to-day financials, understand your accounts receivables, understand the cash you have at hand. Those should be numbers that you have constantly running in your mind. And being able to show that financial performance to investors will be a key, key aspect of being able to have those conversations that then lead to investment in the future. If you can't show these things, especially the numbers, it really will be the end of the conversation before it's begun. So just to give you a quick overview to review what we've already said, because you know that's how we, we keep these ideas fresh. We have these six key metrics that we use to evaluate businesses, to assess businesses, and also to help businesses measure their growth and performance over time. And it goes back to the same aspects that we were just talking about. The people, are you building the right team? Your customers, why do they choose you? How do they behave? Your moat, which is sort of, if you think of your business as a castle, then the moat is what keeps your competitors from getting to the castle, right? It's what keeps the competitors at bay and it's what sets your business apart. We also focus strongly on both finances, which is knowing your numbers, as well as financials, which is having your financial performance recorded. And that's where really whether you're ready to face investors. And importantly, something that a lot of companies don't focus on too much in the beginning, but really helps to make sure you can scale well, is making sure that your company's structure is strong, your governance structure is strong. So how is your board structured? How is your shareholders agreement put together? Because a lot of companies think they have shares, but they've never actually issued them. They don't actually have shareholders. So these are all aspects which you it's important to keep in mind just for good business practice in general. And especially if you're trying to utilize your business as a wealth vehicle, but even more so if you're trying to create a business which is investable and can attract investment successfully. So become investable. Um, just want to tell you a little bit about how we can support businesses to really achieve some of these goals. So we have a Become Investable Advisory Program, which is a six-month program that's really designed to help businesses get to the funding that they need to grow and scale. 
And it starts with an investability assessment, which covers the six key metrics that I would have discussed. And then we also cover the capital raising strategy, which is really putting together the strategy that's based on your company's objectives. And also looking at the capital market conditions, looking at the investors that are out there, looking at what they're interested in, preparing the actual kits for the investors. So this will be preparing your teasers, your information memorandums, helping you prepare your, your pitch decks, et cetera. And then also looking at certain aspects of investor outreach, right? So creating that environment for investors to be able to, to see what the companies are about and what our clients are about and reaching out to the investors that we think would be most appropriate for them to pitch to. And then also, if the investment is successful and the investor is interested, also looking then at due diligence, negotiation, and closing the deal. So you can learn more about our services on our website, as I said, becomeinvestable.com. But these are some of the ways that we take businesses from being what we call bootstrapped, which is lacking access to capital, you know, not having a succession plan, being in that in a vein of really not being able to kind of scale and grow. And it's really that scalability and the growth aspect, which is going to create the wealth over time. So we take businesses from being that bootstrap business to being that investable business. That's what we do. And that's what we specialize in. So just as a recap, really building that investable business will allow you to, of course, be more attractive to external investors. But really importantly, and this is important as well in terms of when you're thinking of it in terms of individual wealth creation, as well as from a business standpoint, is it really allows you, when you build a business with the proper systems and processes in place, it allows you to really spend your time and your money more efficiently. So you get that freedom that you can enjoy your life. You can focus on the strategic decisions of the company. You're not embroiled always in the day-to-day. And then you're also able to extract more wealth from the business when those systems and processes are in place. So you're not always feeling like you're putting all of your time and energy and money back into the business all the time, but you're not reaping any of the returns. So I hope that was helpful. If you need any additional information from us, please reach out, becomeinvestable.com. You can also reach out to any of us, any of the team members at our email addresses here. We will share these as well following the presentation. And with that, I will turn it back over to Kevin and to Neil. All right. Thank you, Zara. So Neil, welcome to the virtual stage. So right now we want to talk about how do we protect, extract, and diversify our income stream and transfer that wealth that we would have built from that investable business that Zara spoke about. And I love I loved the one-word one word explanations for um, technical things. So we just like user, just give us a quick overview on how does this work? You know, just walk us through that protection, that extraction, diversification, transfer. Like, what are we talking about here? Right. So thanks, Kevin. As a financial advisor, we usually try to steer people in the things that you should be cautious about and to be warned of. So these are our four wild dragons for entrepreneurs. These are things that, so we call them dragons because if they rear their head, you know, it's fire, right? <laughs> so you're going to be affected. So the four things that we um, came up with are protection, wealth protection, wealth extraction, wealth diversification, and wealth transfer. And we can go through each one in detail. Sure. Okay. So let's start with wealth protection. You know, funny enough, Tanil, so I would have started my own entrepreneurial journey along with um, Zara and my other co-founders at Become Investable last year. And 
in making that transition from a full-time employee to a business owner, to an entrepreneur, I would have met with my financial advisor as his um, good practice to do. You always want to meet you the financial advisor anytime you're making a big financial decision. And of course, transferring to entrepreneurship is a big financial decision. And one of the first things that my advisor recommended was I get critical illness insurance, right? Make sure I have my health insurance in order. And he pitched it to me, not as an expense, but as an investment, especially as a business owner. And so, I mean, I would have spent a lot of money on this insurance. And I'm thinking, oh, gosh, why am I spending so much money on insurance? And it really starts to get real at that point in time, right? So you start to realize as a business owner, you have other expenses that you're not really cognizant of as an employee. So can you just walk us through, like, why would you say these things are more of an investment versus an expense? So, I mean, most of us, I mean, I'm an entrepreneur on this side as well. Most of us, we don't think about this side. We just want to get the business started, right? So it's really good that you started by speaking to an advisor because you want to be able to have everything set up well from the beginning so that when you do run into problems, there's something in place. So this is really called risk management where you're able to manage the risk. I mean, the risk is the chance of something happening and the chances that you get sick Because remember, being an entrepreneur is a very stressful situation in terms of managing all the different things that are happening at once, right? right? So you would have the chance of getting ill with one of these main critical illnesses that will have you wiped out, you know, and you may not be able to contribute to the company anymore. So that's why we recommend that you get these things put in place. And I mean, it's, it's really based on a fraction, a percentage of your salary. So it's simple to just get set up and you put aside, but then when something really happens, you have that opportunity to tap into that, to take care of any of these situations. So some of the things that we recommend is life insurance for yourself, right? So in event something happens, you wouldn't have to liquidate the company or your assets to take care of your family. You know, that could be worked out after the fact, but at least your family would be able to live securely with a life insurance policy, right? And then, well, the health insurance that you spoke about, which under that you'll have the critical care. And then there's key man insurance that the company itself can pay for that will prevent an event, as Zara was speaking earlier, if anything happens to the main person that runs the company or that has a very critical role in the business, that that insurance would kick in and be able to cover those issues. But the main point that I want to focus on is income protection and disability insurance. This is something that exists and is available in Trinidad and Tobago, but it's not really sold. And according to the U.S. statistics, is one of the most important insurances available because imagine if you were injured in an accident and you can't work physically anymore. You know, that's where the disability insurance would kick in. And they were saying that being disabled, you may live a very long life disabled, right? You may live a very long life in a wheelchair and you would want something to cover your income in the event something like that happens. And they're saying that that is a greater possibility of happening than dying. And especially going through COVID now, we're seeing the benefits of having something like income protection. And that kicks in in the event that something happens and you don't have your income anymore. The insurance product will kick in and you'll be able to cover your income for a certain period, a specified period. Okay. So, I mean, this is really interesting. I'm just thinking about in terms of the entrepreneurial journey. Right. 
So all these things you want to put in place as you start, because I see we have exit planning and succession planning, which that's really um, like the ultimate goal coming to the end. When you build that successful business and you're ready to transfer, and you'll, I guess you'll get to that later on. So tell me about when we're starting off as business owners, as entrepreneurs, out of these four, what do we need to focus on immediately? Right. So actually, right, the exit planning and succession planning, I put that there. We'll talk about it a little more detail at the end. But why I put that there is that is something that you need to plan for. And that can come in based on how you register the business from the beginning. Because if you register it, as most people, the easiest way to start a business is to register as a sole trader. You're not starting out. You're trying to validate the business idea. You just go quickly and register it and you start, right? But, I mean, when you really think about scalability and being able to attract investors, like what Zara spoke of, you know, you want to have a structure that allows for that easily. And as well, in terms of where you see yourself as an entrepreneur and where you see the idea going, you want to be able to set it up where you can exit the business or you can pass it on to family members or even if you want to go public, you know, that's something that you need to decide from the beginning how you see the idea progressing and that will determine how you set up the business and how it's registered. Okay. So a while ago you spoke clearly about income protection and disability insurance. But what does that really look like from a product standpoint? No, we don't need to go and list, okay, well, this company has this, or UTC has this. But just in terms of, okay, when you say income protection as a product, what does that look like? And similarly, what does disability insurance look like? Am I making monthly payments, quarterly payments, annual payments? What do I give and what do I get? So actually, most insurance companies, I can't speak for all, but the few that I checked out, the big name ones that we have locally, they do have these products. I mean, it is expensive when you compare it to products like life insurance and health insurance, but the risk is much higher. That's why it's a little more costly, right? So it's just a product that you buy. You, you can pay monthly or quarterly or annually. You can run it through the business, right? But Usually it's, it's the income protection product is structured based on your salary. So if you're drawing a salary from the company, they will take a percentage of that salary. So let's say you're drawing five or $8,000 from the business. They would probably charge, I'm not sure, like 2% or 1% or so, but they cover up to 80% of your salary in the event something does happen and you're not getting an income anymore you would get a salary from the insurance company for a specified time. But you can call any one of those main insurance companies and ask them about it. It's not something that they advertise openly because there's, there isn't that much demand, but the product is there and we're seeing a need for it now. You know, we recommended it all the time in the past as advisors, but now we're seeing the viability of it going through COVID and seeing that, you know, in, salaries have cut or been downgraded, or you're just not making as much money as before. Those products would have been able to kick in now. All right. So we built an investable business. We're increasing the investability of our business. We've put in these risk management protections to make sure that we could protect our wealth engine that we've built, i.e. our business. So now we want to talk about not so much extraction just yet, but let's talk about diversifying our income stream. Right, because you built a business that's supposed to be generating income for us. But should we really be thinking, okay, our business will be our sole source of income? Right, and I mean, 
as we were saying earlier, the COVID situation has highlighted this, right? If you're putting all your emphasis on building your business and living off of that business, then the situation would have significantly affected your lifestyle and the opportunities you have available, right? But I mean, even if we didn't have COVID, the point is that once you're making the income now and you're generating something now for the business, it should now be diversified. And we talk about diversification and investments, but you have to have diversification in your income as well, right? And so you have to have diversification in everything. Even if you're an entrepreneur, you should be not a one-man, one-woman product. You know, you should be diversified. So if you're selling physical products, you should also be doing services where you could do consulting about how to make the physical products, you know, just in terms of what you can offer, as well as then now, once you're getting that income, then you're diversifying where that income is going, right? And you have different sources of making income as well. So these are the points that I pulled out from a main thinking where they say that an average millionaire has about seven sources of income, but it's mm -hmm. different sources, right? So normally we say, okay, we have two, three jobs, but you need to have different sources, different places that they come from. So we look at earned income. So this obviously this is your income from your salary. Then we have profit income from buying and selling goods or services, then you have interest income, which is income from lending. It doesn't necessarily be that you, you want to invest in bonds, but you could be lending to other businesses and you know that you'll be getting a consistent income from that, right? Of dividend income from owning stocks, right? Rental income. So you're putting your money now into a rental property and you know that you know that is growing slow and steady. But even if you have a rental property, there will be capital income from that because that property is increasing in value over time. Right. And then you have royalty income. And this is from others using your idea. This is just, I mean, especially given the time that we live in now where you can write an ebook overnight. You know, this is capitalizing and making an income off of your ideas, putting it together, developing a product that you can now sell. And this is a very, I mean, once you do the work upfront, then it becomes a very good passive way of making another source of income. Yeah. And the dividend income from owning stocks, you know, stocks typically represent publicly traded companies. Right. But also, I mean, as business owners, we essentially investors in our own privately held companies. And, you know, we've seen that there could be a lot of wealth creation through the ownership of private companies as well and dividend payments from those companies. So interesting that you mentioned rental income and capital income, essentially income from real estate investment right now. And we have this COVID pandemic going on where you're seeing residential real estate prices sort of becoming some, more of a buyer's market. But then you, you're seeing commercial real estate properties, even more so like office buildings and whatnot, facing their challenges there. But then a kind of flight to warehouses and senior nursing homes and, and what have you. But just in your opinion, and I mean, I, I don't know if it's too much of a bit of a pivot from what we were discussing, but how would you advise, say, an investor in terms of looking at real estate investment at this time? Well, what I have been seeing now coming on the market is a lot of, um, they call it multi-dwelling homes. Multi-family homes, yeah. Right. Yes, yeah, yeah. So you would put up a townhouse area where it's like four townhouses or four apartments, you know, so that you have the capital income coming from the appreciation of the property, but then you also have this rental that you get from 
having four different, or even if you, you build this one structure and you're able to sell it now in parts, so you're significant increasing the wealth that you get from it, right? But I mean, if you're starting off small, I would say just stick to what you can afford. I know the banks have a very aggressive approach to lending, where we call it the debt service ratio, right? Mm -hmm. That's what the banks would look at. So they are very aggressive in terms of how high they go over your debt service ratio and what they would lend. But you have to know what you are comfortable with in terms of what you can afford on a monthly basis. Because you see now in COVID where people would have gone significantly over the debt service ratio. And now you can't live because you may not be getting the liquidity that you would have gotten before from your rental property. So can you cover it in the event something happens? Did you have a emergency savings surrounding that rental property to cover the event that your tenant moves out and you can't get somebody else within a very short space of time. You know, so all these things you need to be conscious about before you just decide to invest in a real estate. But I mean, what I did personally is I used my property, my personal property, and tried to generate a rental income from that. You know, that's starting small. And then from there, you know, you can move on to other projects and you know you just as you say start from home right mm-hmm, yeah. but there are things that you can do and in, in an entrepreneur's perspective you can also look at i saw online this person that i followed she has a spice shop where she sells spices and food products and every weekend she rents out a space in her location for people to come and like just set up a table right so she's generating income that's a rental income that she's getting that she gets weekly from people renting her space and then it attracts their customers and then she's doing a service for them as well where she's introducing them to her customers you know so there are many things I know we usually try to think very big but there are small things that you can do as well where you can generate any of these sorts of incomes from things that you're doing already and I think the point is that you need to be conscious that there are seven and I, some I saw there are eight, right? But there are seven different ways you can generate income and we don't have to focus on just one or two. Yeah. And I mean, what I, what I also love is that you are eating what you're cooking here, right? So from listening to you, I understand you're a full-time employee at UTC. So you are, you're getting income from salary, but you mentioned, you mentioned, okay, you mentioned that you also have something going on in the side where you get your, yes. your income from that. And you also mentioned that you, you do some real estate investing of your own because you own a property which you may rent out or, or what have you. Right? I'm planning to write a book. Oh, okay. You are. <laughs> no. I try to knock off all. all of Don't give out everything on the web. Yeah. Don't give out everything on the web. But, all right, so royalty income, I think this is especially interesting because as time progresses and, and especially sped up by the pandemic, you've seen a lot of creativity. There's a rise in creativity. Yeah. And there's a rise in technology. And where you have that marriage between creativity and technology, you have the creation of a lot of intellectual property assets, yes. right? That that would be valuable to many, many other practitioners in various fields of business and industry who may be interested in licensing or renting the use of your creative and technological assets that you would have built. You know, so from that you get that royalty income, you know, from others, you know, using your ideas. I mean, how you advise people, you know, to build out that royalty income stream, you know? So it sounds like it's pretty simple to get the six, you get, you have the salary, you, get the, you start the business on the side, 
you save up your investing from real estate, how do you get to that point where you're also generating that royalty income? The simplest way to do it is you know where you have reached as an entrepreneur or even if you're doing it on the side, you know the steps and the hard work and the focus and everything that you had to put into reaching there. Someone who's starting out wants that information, you know, that is valuable to them. And to me, just capitalizing on that is a really great place to start. It doesn't have to be a physical book or this whole long course, you know, sometimes it might just be using social media to monetize it. You know, you create a, a YouTube page and you have your videos with probably six or eight steps. You know, once you know that there's value in what you're creating and there's the demand for that information, you would be able to generate some revenue from that. You know, with Kindle, there's a very easy way now to monetize and create. You can take... So I was watching where... They were showing a process where, you know, you're blogging, you're doing your stuff on Instagram. If you pull all those things together, you actually have an ebook. <laughs> you know, if you you put all the information that you were speaking about over the past three months to six months, that's a book or that's a course, you know, that you can now put together. And there are five that you can pay to put it together for you, actually. And, you know, you don't have to do all these things yourself. And that is a product that you can now sell. And that's something that once it's done, you just have to probably check to make sure how much in your account, <laughs> you know, it's not something that uh, you have to okay. physically do every day compared to going into your business and making a product. Yeah. So I mean, what you just described sounds like that nice passive income. You, you put any work once, you make sure everything is structured right, is laid out right. And yeah, you make those sales and just like... um. Some of the entrepreneurs of this of today say they don't make that money while you sleep. Yes. And I mean, especially in the creative field locally, you know, wire bending, all these different things that we do that are so unique to us. You know, something that you really need to find a way to not let someone steal your idea, but you are able now to say, well, because I have such a specialized skill and I'm known for this, I can generate some other income off of this for myself. You know, I'm seeing that um, one of Beyonce's dancers wanted to, to copyright his dance moves, right? So that he can monetize it. Because if anybody go and, and take his dance moves, that's his creation, right? So, you know, we need to be very creative as well in terms of how we monetize all these gifts that we have. Yes. And you speak about those dance moves and, you know, you see... With the explosion of cryptocurrency, Bitcoin and Ethereum and all of that, yeah. and all these, and everything that lives on that blockchain platform, you see the creation of these assets called NFTs, non-fungible tokens, where you have, say, maybe a digital painting or, or video of Beyonce's dance moves or whatnot, and you see that trading on a on an NFT exchange or so, and you see that transacting for hundreds of thousands of US dollars right now. You know, it's... <laughs> I want to say it's crazy, but that's because I don't fully understand it yeah. just yet. But yeah, all I have to say that there are so many possibilities that, um, that occur from entrepreneurship, creativity, technology, and what have yeah. you. All right. So you talked about building an investable business, protecting that business, diversifying our income stream. But now we want to talk about, well, briefly, extracting that wealth from the business. So we already covered salary as an income stream, dividends from an income stream. Let's talk a little bit about drawings and retirement savings. All right. So the, the reason why I really want to talk about this point is that 
we get excited about entrepreneurship and, you know, the entrepreneur journey sounds so exciting and cool, right? But when you really compare an entrepreneur locally or in the Caribbean compared to an entrepreneur in the States, you know, it's two different things, right? And the structure, this is just me as an advisor now, not an entrepreneur. Right. And when I look at the structure of how an entrepreneur in a developed country in, in the US or UK or whatever, you know, how they are able to extract wealth and become wealthy, you know, it's totally different to locally the journey. So these are the four ways you're usually able to take money out of a business as an entrepreneur, as an owner, right? So you can draw a salary, you pay yourself a salary every month. You can pay a dividend at the end of the year to the owners. Then you have capital drawings. This is where you now extract a certain amount and give it to yourself as an owner, right? Owner's equity. And then you have retirement savings that you can take out monthly and put into a savings and that's yours, right? As an employee in the business or whatever, right? So these are the four main ways from an accounting perspective. But as a US entrepreneur, right? Once they validate a business and the idea is good and they attract these investors, you know, let's say they worked with become investable and they were able to get people to invest in the business. Immediately, shares are sold and they become wealthy, Right. But locally, you know, it's very hard to monetize and get to that point where you're able now to get the investors in one and then two, sell those shares. Or even if you get an investor now, how do they exit? You know, we try to develop our venture capital market locally. And that was a, a big challenge. Right. And, you know, just getting that private equity available to us. You know, it's hard. And then our financial system, the local equity market, you know, they try to make available the second tier market where it's not as onerous for a small business to list and be able to go public. But we still didn't have that much take up. You know, I think it's just probably about two companies that were able to list since they gave that opportunity. Right. So it's very, very hard to reach to that point now. So you may have someone willing to invest, but how do you now benefit and become wealthy as a business person from your idea? I know locally, we spend a lot of time on building this business for your family and you want your family to benefit. But would you rather have a big piece of a small pie or a small piece of a very big pie, <laughs> you know? And that's mm-hmm. how we, we look at it in that, you know, I guess you want something for, for your family to benefit from in the future and your legacy and building generational wealth. But then you also want to have something, and especially given the time we're in now where technology and globalization is such a, it's like a prerequisite, you know, in terms of when you're starting with your idea, you want to be able to build the business or even change your business now, pivot to a way it's easy to get someone to come in and invest and it's, you know, you have your accounting system in place that anybody could come and scrutinize and say, okay, I'm willing to invest in this business because you have this stuff. You have a scalable idea that can be replicated and sold or, you know, it could become a franchise. You know, those are the things that to me is, are really important. And it doesn't have to be that you, you have to change it that you're stuck with what you have, but it's something you need to be conscious of in where you are and going forward. Because this is how an entrepreneur generates wealth internationally, 
right? And this is what we need to be doing. And especially given that it's so difficult locally, you know, we need to be very conscious in terms of when we're starting out and when we're building it, that that is the goal and that is the idea and where you want to go. If you know you want to keep the business very small and it's just something to keep you afloat for the while or whatever, good. But then if you know that you want this to grow, you believe in your idea, then these are the things that you need to be conscious of and pivoting towards. Yeah, I mean, I think what you said was really important, you know, especially when you when you contrast the local and somewhat regional framework to the international framework or you know, how the environment is right now. Yeah. You know, I mean, just briefly putting on my private equity hat, yeah. you know, I would say, yes, the private equity is a difficult market just because of the investor climate that we're used to in large part. So a couple of slides ago, you spoke about the different income streams, you know, be it rental income, interest income or whatnot. All of these represent fixed income flows where you'll show that, okay, I invest $1,000. I know I'm getting $50 every quarter. I could sleep at night knowing that I have $50 coming every quarter. But when you talk about investing in businesses, especially private businesses, it's not as certain. You have to make sure that you invest in an investable business so that you're willing to put your money at risk there. And you also need to be, need to have a more of a patient mindset to wait for that investment to grow from $1,000 to $10,000 to a million dollars or what have you. And you also mentioned another, another possible way of extracting your wealth would be the IPOs, albeit the Trinidad um, Secondary Stock Exchange or Junior Stock Exchange. It only has a couple of listings right now and it's fairly illiquid. Okay, so I'm about to move on to our final discussion point on wealth transfer. So this is if you now have a developed business mm-hmm. or even if you're ready to retire, you know, you're 40, you beat yourself down and you're ready to move on to something else that's not so onerous and taxing on your body, you know, and you're, you're planning now for your legacy, what you want to leave behind. And to me, this first point with your legacy, it doesn't just have to be what you leave for your family, but if you want to support a charity, a local charity, you know, these are things that you need to consider and really think about how you're going to do it. I mean, you can talk to an advisor or you can talk to your accountant or a lawyer, you know, but these are things that you need to have a plan and put something in place, right? And then most entrepreneurs, you put a lot of of your wealth and you keep your wealth, you keep it reinvesting that owner's equity back into the business. So then everything now is tied up in this business. So if something does happen to you, right, or let's say you get a disability or you die, how would your family now be able to live or benefit off of this? I personally know a story of of an entrepreneur where he died unexpectedly from a heart attack and the family continue to let the accountant and the managers in the business continue to run the business. And they slowly started to steal the funds out of the business, right? Because there was no one at the top really seeking the business's interest. They were seeking their own interest, right? And then eventually the business had to close, right? So that's something that you need to put a plan in place for that business continuity in the event that you are not around or your family is not interested in taking over the business how would this business continue to prosper? Right. And you speak about, you know, whether or not your family is interested in taking over the <laughs> business. Funny enough, in another hat I wear, I was recording a podcast yesterday on uh, my podcast, Caribbean Power Lunch, where, you know, we speak about 
global business from a Caribbean perspective. And I was actually interviewing a succession planning expert. Right. So the whole episode was focused on succession planning. And she explained it so much more than just succession planning, right? So I see you mentioned it here, business continuity from that operational standpoint. So what is your emergency plan if something happens? Yes. Who do we contact? Who are our suppliers or clients? What, what's our relocation sites and all of these things? And they speak about, aside from succession planning, you have succession preparation, where essentially you're grooming, you're grooming somebody to take over that business so that business continue operating. You know, so I, I find that pretty interesting from a succession standpoint. Yeah, and you'll be surprised that even if you're grooming your son or daughter to come into the business, I mean, especially with these millennials and, you know, the time that we're living in, they want to be more tech savvy. Even if they do come into the business, they'll want to pivot and go a whole different direction. And you're like, wait, what's going on here? Don't come and, and massacre the idea that I had, you know? So all those are things that you really need to be conscious of as you, as the entrepreneur building your business, you had full freedom in what you did. You know, why are you limiting your, your children now to come into this structure? Is it that you need to create something new for them and keep your business a certain way or you do it in a way where, you know, there's constant. I think the, the main point is there needs to be constant communication of this is where you want the business to go. So it's either they understand and they're fully on board with that. And if they are not, if you're communicating all the time and you understand that they, that's not where they are going, that's not where they see themselves, then you pivot now and you have a different idea in how you would approach the continuity of the business. Right. And within this world transfer, I mean, will you say, I mean, it, this includes something as formal as the preparation of a will? Yes. Right. That's something that you or trust. Yeah, that's something that you can, at the end of the day, you would now have assets. So that's something that you need to think about how it's going to be transferred and in a very tax efficient way as well. Right. So that's something, a conversation you need to be having with your lawyer or accountant, you know, that's a good place to start in terms of getting those things. This third point of the beneficiary designation, you know, I just want to put in this point as well, you know, where do you see sure. most of, well, all of our products, all of our mutual funds, once you assign a beneficiary to the account, the funds will automatically transfer to your beneficiary upon debt. You know, you don't need to now go and do your legal papers and your probates and stuff. It will just automatically transfer. So it's an easy way of wealth transfer once, you know, something happens to you. So this is a great option, I think, because let's say, God forbid, something happens to you and you die. You know, you don't want that your family can't pay for the nice funeral and a good casket because everything is tied up in certain, even if it's cryptocurrencies, you know? So you want to have this option there that you have some funds there that once the debt certificate is generated, the beneficiary just needs to walk in with this debt certificate and the check is written out to them and, and they have access to the funds one time. You know, so I think that was something that I really needed to mention that there are a lot of different options available. I know with credit unions, they do have products, they have insurance products that pay double the shares that you have. But I mean, that takes a little longer than our process in terms of being able to generate that funds for your family once you have passed on. So to me, the, the point is you, you're building a portfolio as well around when you die, right? And how you transfer right. now and how your family can benefit. Next, 
especially if you know you have people depending on you. If you have no children, there's something to consider with when I do have children, because as the, the saying goes in the advisory world, that you're buying these things with good health. Eh? You can't wait until you're 40, 45, and now you have all these family illnesses. It, it may not be you, you're still healthy, but now your father died of a heart attack or, you know, your mom has cancer, then now that it becomes more costly for you to get insured, right? So insurance and these products, these are things you need to think about while you're young and healthy. Yeah, um, you know, I just got a little, sorry, I got distracted and nervous when you mentioned 40 and 45. <laughs> you're dressed in a, in a slant where, of course, when you're 40, you're old, and you know, you need to be, <laughs> somebody head in there. In a few years. That's you know? like <laughs> midlife, right? If you look mm-hmm. at the life expectancy in the Caribbean, you know, people live usually to 80, 90. So 45 is kind of like the middle of your life there, where you really need to be conscious of all these things going on and how you're going to live the second half of your life. Interesting. Okay, so a little bit earlier you mentioned, you know, a will or a trust, right? I don't think the concept of a trust, or at least the workings of a trust, are that intuitive. As a will is, right? So everybody knows, you know, you watch, you see it on TV, there's no, there's common knowledge that, you know, with a will, that means when somebody's about to die, what, how do they want their assets to be disbursed to their loved ones or to whoever they need? But can you just give a nice overview on the workings of a trust? Well, it's the same principle as the will. It's just, it's an entity that is created that holds the assets. So, and oh, that was another point that I wanted to discuss that as an entrepreneur, depending on the field that you're in, and in the Caribbean, we don't really have too much of a lawsuit mentality where you go and you just sue a company quickly if you don't get the service you expected or whatever. But I mean, the the risk of that happening is there, especially depending on the field that you're in, right? I have a designer friend and she said that, you know, in terms of just doing designs for homes and stuff, the risk is that, you know, if the electrician came, if she subcontracted an electrician and the electrician burned down the building, you know, if the owner falls on her, that she could be sued, right? So it's really important in terms of how she structured her business. And then it's also important if she owns assets, those assets are not liable to be grabbed or taken if something happens like that, right? So then it really, one of the opportunities you have is putting everything in a trust, and the trust or legal entity, you can create a company that now owns your house or your rental properties or your business so that if anything comes on you, you don't own anything on paper, right? Your trust owns it. And then the people that own the trust would be your wife and your children and those sorts of things. But I mean, I don't want to go too much into the structure and how it works. I think it's really specific to what you set up right. and what assets you own and how you want to structure it. And so that's a conversation you should have with a lawyer. Okay. All right. So I, th- I think we're pretty much ready to, to wrap this part of the session today. Yes. We would like to thank you all on behalf of Unitrust Corporation and Become Investable for joining us this morning. We hope it was as beneficial for you as it was for me, at least. And we wish you a safe and enjoyable day and a weekend. Thanks, Kevin, for having us from the UTC. So anyone, you can reach out to us at the Advisory Services Department at the UTC. We do have advisors available both in Trinidad and Tobago, right? So you can always have a conversation with one of us and as well with Kevin and his team if you want to do the investments. 
side of it for your business. Yes, yeah, you can reach us at info at becominvestable.com. That's info at becominvestable.com. All right, everyone, wishing you a safe and enjoyable day. Take care.